Why don't you grab your Bible and let's open up to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And uh, if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, our ushers are ready uh, to come to you. Just need to slip up your hand wherever you are and they'll come to you. They'll give you a Bible and, and uh, that's our gift to you. That's yours to keep. So if you need one, just slip up your hand where you are. They'll come and, uh, and give you that Bible and uh, we'll meet you in Matthew chapter 4 uh, in just a minute. As you're turning there uh, to Matthew 4, um, I just want to remind you of some important things that are coming up next weekend. Uh, next weekend, we will bring our uh, life-defined series to a close, and uh, we've got some things planned for next week that I'm really looking forward to, and, and I don't think you're going to want to miss those things. Um, one of those things, of course, is that next weekend, we officially change our church name to Mission City Bible Church, and amen, amen. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. All right, praise the Lord. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> on one hand, that is important. Um, it is a, a bit of a big deal, uh, but on the other hand, it is just a church name, and uh, there's really only one name that matters in this church, and that's the name of Jesus, and uh, so we want, as we change our name, we want to make much of his name and celebrate his goodness to us, so that's next week. Also then, next week as well, is our ministry fair um, that we've been talking a little bit about. We have uh, many of our ministry leaders who are going to be out in the lobby and out in the front entryway and out onto the grass, Lord willing uh, and weather permitting. Um, they're going to be out there and just available uh, for those of you who sense that the Lord is leading you to serve in some way in this church. Uh, if you're serving in a ministry already, maybe you're serving in multiple ministries across this church. And uh, if that's you, that's great. Thank you so much for the ways that you're investing the gifts and the abilities and the resources and everything that the Lord has given to you uh, into this church, into serving him and into loving his people. Uh, but maybe you're not serving yet. And um, maybe you've been around here for a little while, you call this church your home, and, but you're not really plugged in to serve yet. And uh, we believe that a very important part of our discipleship, part of our maturity in Jesus Christ is actually serving in the church and using the gifts that he has given us. And so uh, if that's you, then this ministry fair is definitely for you. Um, and, and we just want to encourage you to take advantage of that next week as our ministry leaders gather out in those open spaces out there. And uh, so make sure that you're here, part of that, all next Sunday morning after both of our services. And I uh, just want to celebrate the Lord's goodness to us as a church. And, um, and we're going to do that. There's some other things we have planned for next week as well that I'm going to save for next week. And uh, just you just want to be here. We want to make this our all-in Sunday. So everyone who calls this church their home, we want you to be here. So make a priority, if you can, of being here. And we're going to celebrate together what the Lord has done. That actually leads us into um, the next message in our series today. Uh, our series, Life Defined, this has been an opportunity for us over these past few weekends uh, just to realign our focus around what matters most and why that matters the most. And so a couple of weeks ago, we began this series uh, in Isaiah 48 with a sermon titled, The Mission of God. And we learned from Isaiah 48 that the mission of God is the glory of God. That God is who he is and God does what he does for the sake of his own glory among all the peoples of the earth. That moved us then into uh, week number two, and our, our sermon in week number two was the mission of the church. And we learned from four passages across the New Testament that the mission of the church revolves around us being sent by Christ to make disciples of all the nations by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And the way that we articulate that here in this church is to say that we exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. That then leads us to today, week number three, with a message titled, The Mission of My Life. So the mission of God, the mission of the church, 
and now today the mission of my life. Why is it that God has put us here? Why has God put you here? Why has he put me here? What are the things that all of us, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to be doing, regardless of the family that we come from, or the job that we have, or the resources that are ours? What exactly is it that we should be giving our lives to? And really, what we're about to see here in Matthew chapter 4 is that the answer to those questions flows out of one common call that is placed on the lives of all who know Jesus. Now, frankly, um, a call can be a very powerful thing. Uh, maybe you know what it's like to go through a season of your life, time in your life, where, where you've, you're just glued to your phone. You know what I mean? And, and you're waiting for that call. You're waiting for that text. You're waiting for that email. You're waiting for that message that somehow is not just going to change your day, but it actually has the ability in some way to actually change your life. And so every like 12.9 seconds, you're pulling your phone out of your pocket and you're looking at it and, and it's, you just want to make sure that it's working and that you didn't miss it when it rang. And so you start shaking your phone, right? If you get really anxious about it, start shaking your phone as if that's going to change anything, right? And sometimes a call has the ability to change us in very powerful ways. And, and maybe it's the, the call to say that you got the job. Uh, maybe it's the call to say that you got the house. Maybe it's the call to say that you're going to be a grandparent. Amen. All right. Grandparents in the house. All right. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the call that you get from the doctor to say that the test results have come back and it's not what you expected, uh, definitely not what you wanted. Sometimes a call has the ability to change us. And what we're about to learn from Matthew chapter 4 is the story of four guys whose lives were forever changed by one call. And that one call gave them really an unmistakable purpose in their life. And, and the thing about this was that it wasn't just the call that changed them. It was who the call came from that made all the difference. So have your Bible open, Matthew 4. Follow along with me as I start reading at verse 18 and down to verse 22. Verse 18, Matthew says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, do you see it there? Four guys, two words, one call. Follow me which when you think about it is a pretty bold statement for anybody to demand of somebody else. That you just leave everything behind, you lay everything else down for the sake of going somewhere else with somebody else to do what that person is about to tell you. That's a bold statement for anybody to make because I think we could safely say that most of us in this room, probably even all of us in this room, we are comfortable with our life the way that it is. We like our life the way that it's going. We have our own plans. 
We have our own purposes. We have our jobs to do, our families to care for. We have the pleasures of this life that we like to enjoy. And if anything, we would rather call other people's attention toward us to go in the direction that we're going rather than be called away from the direction we think we should go. I mean, it's true, isn't it? We want to be in control. We want to be large and in charge, and we want to set the path forward for our life, right? And we don't want to have to bend our direction to someone else's ideas of what we should or should not do. Like when you think about it, this call, this statement to come and follow me, like to lay everything down, to let it go so that you can go somewhere else and do something else, that you can leave it all behind. Like by so many standards, that is just not good investment, right? That's just not a good plan. It's not even good stewardship, we would think. Like, why should we let go of things that we've invested so much in, seemingly to get nothing in return, just so we can follow someone else when we're not even sure where they are going or what we're going to have to do when we get there? Like, isn't that the way that we think sometimes? It's the way we think about life, which I think is why it's really important for us to understand who this call comes from, and what this call actually means. So before we try to understand what it means for us to follow Jesus, we need to first understand the Jesus that we are being called to follow. So notice this first. If, if you're taking notes, here's the first main heading of our message today. Number one, Jesus is worthy to be followed. Jesus is worthy to be followed. Now, this is not the first time that Peter and Andrew and James and John, these four guys in our passage, it's not the first time that they've met Jesus. The Gospel of John chapters 1 and 2 actually tell us that they have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah at some point before already, so they already know Jesus, they know a little bit of what he's about and what he's trying to do, and so this call here for them in Matthew chapter 4, this is not the call for them to be saved. Okay, This is the call for them to go towards deeper discipleship. Deeper obedience toward Jesus. And so when Jesus calls them, and when he calls us to deeper discipleship, when Jesus says, follow me, it's critical for us to understand the me that we are being called to follow. Follow me? Okay, you with me? All right. So by this point in the gospel, Matthew has actually painted this pretty spectacular picture of who Jesus is. So if you go back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, you see that Matthew says there, he begins this gospel, begins the New Testament really by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right from the very beginning, in the first verse of his gospel, he identifies Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah, just based on the name that he's using, Jesus Christ, meaning Savior, Messiah. He's the promised one sent by God to save his people. And he's the son of David. In other words, he's born into the kingly line of Israel, but he's also the son of Abraham, meaning that all of the covenants are fulfilled in Jesus So here we are already, just in this first verse in the New Testament, and the entirety of the Old Testament is already pointing to Jesus. Like, that's pretty amazing. Later in chapter 1, Matthew tells about the virgin birth of Christ. So he's fully God, and he's fully man. He is God with us in the flesh. He is born of a woman, born by the power of the Spirit. Chapter 2, Matthew quotes from Micah 5 and says that Jesus is the ruler of God's people. A little bit 
Uh, Later in chapter 2, Matthew explains how Jesus will be our ultimate deliverer. Chapter 3, John announces that Jesus is both king and judge. Later in chapter 3, at his baptism, Jesus is filled with the Spirit and he is loved by the Father. Then in chapter 4, Jesus proves, listen, Jesus proves that he is better than Adam and greater than Israel. He's better than Adam and he is greater than Israel. In other words, Jesus did against Satan what Adam could not do. In that where Adam sinned when he was tempted by the devil in the garden, Jesus did not sin when he was tempted by the devil and remained perfectly obedient to his heavenly father in everything. Furthermore, chapter 4 says that Jesus is the great light that shines in the darkness for all to see. So here we are, chapters 1 through 4 in the very first book in the New Testament. And Matthew outlines this amazing picture of who Jesus is. Just a small picture of the Jesus that we are being called to follow. Now here's the thing about us as humans. Sometimes we're a little bit slow in the uptake, right? A little bit hard in the head. Um, we, We don't get it as quickly as we should. And so it's one thing for us to know in our head that these things are true about Jesus. But don't you find it to be true that it's another thing almost completely for us to actually experience the power of this Jesus? That's what happened in Luke chapter 5. It's the parallel passage to Matthew 4. And Luke describes some of the events that were happening around this time that Jesus called uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John. So it's up on the screen here for you, but listen uh, as I read through Luke 5, verses 1 through 11, and just try and put yourself into this story and and try and picture what's happening. Feel the emotion of the moment. Luke 5, starting at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, meaning Jesus, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So, this Jesus, whom they already knew, comes along and tells them to drop their nets into the water. Even though they've been doing this all night already, they've had no success. And when they do, their nets break and their boats sink because there are so many fish to be caught. And that then can lead only to one place, at least to Peter getting down on his knees before Jesus and saying, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Like, don't miss this right here. Peter is not just amazed that Jesus could do something they couldn't. Peter is amazed that Jesus is someone who they are not. 
Like that's the difference right there. Jesus is altogether different and undeniably worthy, not only of our worship for what he has done, but also for our trust for what he will still do. Jesus is worthy to be followed. Which now brings us back to Matthew 4 where we learn three responses of what it means for us now to follow Jesus. So see this first. Following Jesus means total surrender. Following Jesus means total surrender. So Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew as they're fishing and we pick it back up again in verse 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So, follow me. What exactly is Jesus saying there? Like, what does total surrender look like? So you can jot these things down. For one thing, total surrender means that we go where he leads. We go where he leads. Now, when Jesus says, follow me, Notice what he's not saying here. He's not saying, follow your dreams, whatever they may be and wherever they may take you. He's not saying that. He's not saying, follow your plans, as good as they may be for your life. I'm sure they're fantastic. Just follow your plans. He's not saying that. He's not saying, follow your heart. How many times do we hear that? He's not saying that. He says, follow me. And what's interesting here is that Jesus seems to be so compelling to them that when he calls them to follow, they drop everything and they go. Just look look at the text again. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Immediate obedience. And the thing about this is that they have no idea where they're about to go. They have no idea what will be required of them when they get there. All they know at this particular point is who they are going with. Like they are so compelled by Jesus that they laid everything else aside in order to follow him. And here's the question. How else do you explain what happened to these first disciples later on in their life after they had been called by Jesus? Like tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew, his brother, sometime later was also crucified. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, was beaten to death. Thomas was speared through his side. James was beheaded. Philip was stoned. Simon the Zealot was executed. And Matthew was burned at the stake. Every single one of them for the very same reason. Because they were preaching the gospel of the Jesus who called them to follow him. Like, just think about it. Safe to say, isn't it, that none of them knew that this is where they would end up when Jesus first called them. All they knew in that moment was that they were going with Jesus, and apparently, that was enough. See, I I just don't know if we see following Jesus quite like that. Like if you're to look at your life right now, if, if you're to look at the things that are really important to you in your life right now, will just Jesus be enough for you? Is just Jesus enough for me? Like sometimes our approach 
is, is more hopeful that Jesus will follow us where we go and he'll bless what we do and he'll make us successful and prosperous along the way while we maintain some level of comfort and security over here and just hope beyond hope that Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't upset our sanctified apple cart somewhere along the way. And, and somewhere along that way, we pass that off as Christianity. But we gotta see that's not the call to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, period. Like, go where I'm leading. Lay down your plans, lay down your purposes, lay down your ambitions, lay down your life. Like, isn't that the call to follow Jesus? Anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me? Like, just think about that verse for a second. It doesn't get much more graphic than that than picking up an ancient symbol of torture and death as a way of understanding what you are about to give your life to. It'd be like Jesus coming to you and me today and saying, just pick up your preferred choice of lethal injection and follow me. Because the whole point of the call is that you're laying down your life. We are dying to ourselves. We are dying to what we want in order that we may then follow Jesus and do what he wants. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a um, German pastor, theologian during World War II, and he wrote about the cost of discipleship. He said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your life. Die to what you want so that you can follow Jesus. In another work, Bonhoeffer would, would also say, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. It'll cost you your life. Total surrender not only means that we go where he leads, but it also means this. We receive what he gives. We receive what he gives. And, and so we come to this point now and. And I just want you, I want you to see the grace in this, okay? Just look up here for a second if you can. I want you to see the grace that is here in this passage, all right? Because the thing is, it can be really easy for us to, to come to a passage like this, to come to a sermon like this, even to come to sermon points like this where we talk about uh, total surrender and sacrifice and, and all of these things. And it can be so easy for us to get lost in the mindset that I just got to do, 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 do. Like if I'm really going to be serious about following Jesus, then I've got to do this. And often we, we sometimes come to those things in our own strength. But more than anything right now, I just want you to see the grace of Jesus that is here in this passage. Okay? I want you to see that as the foundation for what Jesus is saying right here. Notice the first thing that Jesus says to them. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus equips us for that to which he calls us. See the grace of Jesus. Jesus equips us for that to which he calls us. Our identity, our mission in life is wrapped up in who Jesus makes us to be. As one pastor put it, at the very core of it, Jesus is not simply calling us to make disciples. Jesus is actually causing us to make disciples. 
He's causing us to go and spread the gospel so that people are saved and disciples are made. Like, hear these four words from Jesus, not just to the disciples, but to you and to me. I will make you. No matter your background, no matter your job, no matter your education, your past, or your present. Like, what gives you the ability to lay down your life, to go where Jesus says, and to do what Jesus tells? What gives you the ability to do that? It's the confidence that not only does Jesus make you new, but Jesus will give you everything you need. Like, there are some of you here in this church, and um, some of you even in the room right now, and, and you have your own business and, and you use your business, not, not just for a, a way of making your own living and supporting your family, but you actually, you leverage your business, you leverage your work for the kingdom of God. Like you're using that to invite other people in and, and to be able to spread the love of Jesus to those people and, and to invite them into your business, sometimes at a cost to you for the purpose of discipleship so that you can invite them in and they can walk alongside of you and you can walk alongside of them as we walk out our Christian life together. Like, that's it. That's the call. And sometimes it's your job. Sometimes it's a hobby. Sometimes it's something completely different. But it's inviting others in and walking together for the call that Jesus has placed on our lives. Notice this. Jesus did not say, I will make you carpenters or I will make you contractors I will make you teachers, doctors, lawyers. I'll make you this, I'll make you that, whatever. He didn't say that. Those are all good things. But Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And everything else that we do falls under that mission. How are we spending our lives to point others to Jesus? How am I spending my life? Like this is a question I've been asking myself this week. How am I spending my life? How are you spending your life to point others to Jesus? We, we go where he leads. We receive what he gives. And then notice this. We long for what he loves. Total surrender means that we long for what he loves. Jesus says, look at the last part of this sentence. He says, I will make you fishers of men. We talked about this last week that if you're saved then you're sent. Like, just think about how astonishing that is. Jesus saves us, and he's trusted us with this message to go and tell others about him. So we are fishers of people, living and sharing the gospel with people around us because these are people that Jesus loves and that he came to save. But I wonder sometimes if, if we've actually grasped the meaning of that as Jesus gave it to us. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus invited people to trust in him, it was, it was never just repeat this prayer or just raise your hand or walk this aisle or say these words or throw this marshmallow in the fire at camp. Like it was never any of that. When Jesus called people to follow him, he always called them to repentance and faith. Always. Like it was clear that there had to be a definite turning away from themselves, turning away from the old life, turning away from sin, and turning to Jesus to trust in him. His call was to total surrender. And yet sometimes I wonder if, if we've just become satisfied in North American church culture to making following Jesus as easy as we can. 
that instead of dying to ourself, that we live for ourselves. Instead of laying our lives down to reach others, we've actually picked up our lives in order to satisfy ourselves, which, which I think is why we need so much to see the grace of Jesus within this passage. Like, that's why. Like, we need to cling to the grace of Jesus. I want you to see this so much. Like, I just want you to, to see it, hug it, and never let go of it. Like, just see the grace of Jesus because it's the grace of Jesus that takes our hearts and totally transforms us, totally makes us into someone new so that when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, wherever it is that God takes you, when you go back into your family, maybe even this afternoon, that as you go back in there, your heart has been so drastically changed by the grace of Jesus that you now look at the people around you completely differently with this supernatural love that is within you that has been changed in you by the grace of Jesus himself. Like that's the only way that this works, right? It's the grace of Jesus that allows us, causes us to follow after him. He says, I will make you. Jesus does the work of making us into fishers of men, fishers of people. Like when Jesus calls us, see this, he calls us to total surrender. So if we agree that following Jesus means total surrender, then we have to understand that following Jesus also means radical sacrifice. It means radical sacrifice. We see that um, Peter and Andrew left their nets. They followed Jesus. And then we see the same thing happen again in verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. It's interesting that um, when we come to passages like this, even again to like particular sermon points like this, total surrender, radical sacrifice, that there can be a temptation for us to go to one of two extremes. On the one hand, um, we can overemphasize what it means for us to sacrifice and think that if we are really following Jesus and if the people around us are really following Jesus like we all should be, then we should be giving up everything that we have and selling it all and giving to the poor and going and moving somewhere across the world so that we can spread the love of Jesus to other people who need it. And it can certainly mean that. It can include that. And yet, when we look at this passage, we can see from this passage that that's actually not always the case. It seems that James and John were called to give up more than Peter and Andrew, and yet the call to Peter and Andrew to follow Jesus is no less valid. It's just that James and John were called to give up more, it seems. I mean, we know from other places that Peter and Andrew still had their homes, still living with their families, maybe even still had their boat, some of their possessions as fishermen. And yet it seems that James and John were called to give up some more. So on the one hand, we can overemphasize this call to sacrifice, But on the other hand, we can also under-minimize the call as well. And we can think that, sure, Jesus may have called that person to go and sell everything and give to the poor and go to some other country, clear across the world, to make the love of Jesus known, but he hasn't done that for me. And so I'm okay for now. And if anything, we think the emphasis is just on being ready to do that just in case Jesus calls us to do that. And there's certainly an element of reality in that as well. Here's the thing. Whenever we drift to either of those extremes, we risk missing the point 
of what Jesus is saying in this passage. Look at your Bible again. Verse 20. Peter and Andrew leave their nets behind so that they can follow Jesus. So it's not out of reach to think that they had a successful fishing business. They had invested a lot into it. They had, they had stuff to lose when Jesus called them. Verse 21 James and John are in a boat with their father mending the nets. Verse 22, Jesus calls them. They get out of their boat. And as they're leaving their boat, they're waving goodbye to their dad. Now, let's pause here just for a second. And I want to encourage you again, just do your best to try and insert yourself into this passage. Like try and climb into the Bible right now, into this passage, and, and try and feel the emotion of what's happening here. Because this is not an easy moment. This is not an easy thing for them to be going through. Like, just imagine what it would be like for you to walk away from your job tomorrow. Some of you are like, yes, Lord, please, I'll take that assignment, right? right? But, but seriously, just think, not just of, of walking away from your job. Think about what it would be like to go to work tomorrow morning, walk into your boss's office, and say to him or her, I just want you to know that today's my last day, and I'm leaving because uh, Jesus has told me that I need to go and do this. And you're not just walking away from your job, you're actually walking away from the security and the comfort that the job provides. I mean, just imagine what it would be like to, to get out of the boat and walk away from your family, never knowing if you're ever even going to see them again. Like, just try and feel this. And, and do you see what's happening here? When Peter and Andrew and James and John hear the call of Jesus, they are making a value statement at that precise moment. For them, it is not so much about what they are giving up. It is all about what they are gaining in its place. They get Jesus. You see this? Because this is the whole point of this passage. We can't miss this. It's not just about what they're giving up. It's about who they are gaining and the point here for us to see is that Jesus is better than your comfort or your security. Jesus is better than your possessions and your investments. Jesus is better than your safety and your familiarity. Jesus is better than your job and your friends and even your family. Like loved ones, don't forget the me that we are being called to follow. Jesus has saved us from our sins he has delivered us from the eternal wrath of God by dying in our place so that we could have eternal life with God forever. So that when Jesus says, follow me, we can lay down everything for the sake of that call because we know that he is so much more satisfying than anything we've had to lay down. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes. There's a line in the song that says, I let go of all I have just to have all of you. Will just Jesus be enough for us? Following Jesus means total surrender, radical sacrifice, and then finally this, hopeful expectation. Hopeful expectation. Notice this last observation. Um, Jesus chose some truly ordinary people to follow him. You see that? 
as J.D. Greer says, when it came to the disciples, Jesus chose the B team. It's pretty great. And he goes on and he says, because his work in the world wouldn't come from their abilities for him, but, would, but from what he would do through them. Jesus chose the B team. I don't know about you, I'm on like the XYZ team, right? Like anybody else got an amen for that? Like Jesus chose them knowing who they were and he transforms them knowing what he would do. And that's the way that God works, right? Like that's the way that he works within our life. There's nothing about us that makes us worthy of being chosen. We bring nothing to the table. It's all about Jesus choosing us. That's the way it is in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter one, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Like think about the message and the power of the gospel. We were all rebels against God to the very core of who we are. Lost in our sin, hopeless apart from him, concerned only about ourselves and what we wanted to do. Like just think right now of the various backgrounds across this room and all of the things that Jesus has saved us from in his single atoning death in our place. Like at a time when you and I were not even looking for him, he comes to us, he calls our name, he says, follow me, he gives us a new identity in himself, he gives us the gift of repentance and faith to turn to him, and in ways that are completely beyond our ability to understand, he changes our heart so much to help us see that the entire purpose of our life is to be lived for him. (laughs) That is amazing. That is amazing grace for sure. So only a few short years after Matthew chapter four, Peter, the simple fisherman, will preach the first ever sermon in the Christian church and 3,000 people are gonna get saved. That's a good church service, right? Andrew, his brother, will go on and preach the gospel and more people are gonna get saved. James will play an important leadership role in the early church, and John will encourage believers all across the ancient world with the love of God for them through Christ Jesus. Why? Because of them? No, absolutely not, but because of Christ in them. Because a life fully surrendered is a life fully satisfied. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon and. So let this be an encouragement to you. Sure was to me. He says, when Christ calls us by his grace, we ought not only to remember what we are, but we ought also to think of what he can make us. It did not seem a likely thing that lowly fishermen would develop into apostles, that men so handy with the net would be quite as much at home in preaching sermons and in instructing converts. One would have said, how can these things be? You cannot make founders of churches out of peasants of Galilee. That is exactly what Christ did. And when we are brought low in the sight of God by a sense of our own unworthiness, we may feel encouraged to follow Jesus because of what he can make us. So listen to this now. This this is for all of us, but it, it may be especially for somebody sitting in the room right now who needs this encouragement. Oh, you who see in yourselves at present nothing that is desirable, Come you and follow Christ for the sake of what he can make out of you. Do you not hear his sweet voice calling to you and saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? But if you go your own way with your own net, 
you will make nothing of it. And the Lord promises you no help in it. It is follow me. Follow me. Preach my gospel. Preach what I preached. Teach what I taught. And keep to that. Do this and he will make you fishers of men. But if you do not do this, you will fish in vain. It's true, isn't it? We bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer. But for the grace of Christ, who calls our name and makes us into something new. And don't we all know it? That some calls have the ability to change us forever.